Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health and I am very excited today that we're going to be discussing an issue that is near and dear to my heart and that is near, not infrared, near infrared sauna detoxification because I am of the belief as are many other experts in detoxification that is an essential integral component of that but not only for detox but so many other biological benefits and today we are joined by brian richards who is also equally passionate about this modality and doesn't really have any formal health training but is has uh, provided a resource that i think many could be benef benefit from so welcome and thank you for joining us today brian thank you for having me dr mercola Okay, great. Well, I'm so excited you're here. We got so much great stuff to talk talk about. Uh, and I guess uh, it might be best to differentiate the different uh, types of infrared saunas. And the vast majority of infrared saunas are far infrared, which I still think is a useful challenge. Unfortunately, there's some downsides. So why don't you elaborate on those? Well, uh, most people understand uh, what they see as a, an infrared sauna is indeed a, a far infrared sauna. So far infrared, near infrared, it's a, the differences of wavelength. Near infrared is more high energy. It's closer to red, so we call it near infrared. That's what an incandescent sauna is. Uh, but that's not what the typical infrared sauna is. The typical infrared sauna is far infrared, which are the very low energy uh, infrared wavelengths. They start out at 3,000 nanometers and up from there. So uh, there's no photobiomodulation from these wavelengths. They're only uh, heating the body. Uh, it's a very small portion of the sunlight's uh, spectrum. Actually, only a few percent of the solar radiation is far infrared. The, the biggest portion of infrared in the sunlight spectrum that reaches the Earth is near infrared. Uh -huh. And uh, there's so much more going on with near infrared. So what's the percentage of near infrared? You mentioned that far froze a few percent. Um, I can bring that up in a second. I think with the with sunlight, it's about thirty percent. Wow! 40%. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I, when I first met Brian at Bulletproof uh, in two thousand and seventeen, I uh, didn't believe in what he was doing and really challenged him for a half hour, just dialogue back and forth, <laughs> and that's actually. I think it was about that time, wasn't it? Remember, remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. You came up, and uh, you were very but skeptical. I wasn't, I, I wasn't uh, arrogant. At least I tried not to be. I just was seeking to understand what your position was because I knew you were good at it, and uh, you really enlightened me. Because I, I, I was confused about some basic concepts, and I suspect many people watching this are too. So you now confirm that thirty percent of the spectrum is near infrared, the sun spectrum. Uh, forty. Uh, it's about forty percent. Um, these 40%. are rough figures, That's but about forty percent of sunlight is near infrared. So the majority, really, the majority of the sunlight's emission is near infrared. Well, not majority. Majority be over fifty, but but a significant percentage. The the biggest portion, if we're looking at visible yeah, yeah. light versus far, <laughs> near, mid, yes. comparing it all of it. Uh, so a huge part of our evolutionary context is getting so much of our light as a near infrared wavelength. Every day. Yes. And then let me just take a slight tangent before we go back to the differences again. And uh, the traditionally being exposed to sunlight is thought to be almost universally due to the benefit of ultraviolet B radiation stimulating production of vitamin D. But what almost everyone leaves out is the near infrared and its impact on photobiomodulation. So please expand on that. Yeah. Photobiomodulation is, is simply light activating biological systems. So 
you have to have a, a light receptor protein, which we call a chromophore in the body to receive the light and, and have it activate some biological process. Uh, the most well-known um, form of photobiomodulation is, is, the, is in the mitochondria system. The mitochondria has the light receptor protein, the cytochrome oxidase. So it's in the, it's one of the main um, uh, cellular uh, respiration, you know, the, the main mitochondrial proteins. It turns out it receives light. It has absorption bands only for near infrared light. So, and visible red light as well. So these very, this very narrow bandwidth of the sunlight is not just heating our body or, or in terms of UV promoting some kind of uh, vitamin D production. It's, uh, it's at, in fact, activating an entirely different healing system in the body. And since we have mitochondria in every cell of our body besides red blood cells, it's a core uh, restorative healing system. And, and there's just so many benefits to it. And again, something that we had every day, naked under the sunlight. Um, and, yeah, absolutely. And at least for those who live close to, closer to the tropics or subtropics. Uh, yeah, and, and in those in the winter too. Absolutely. That's also... Yeah, yeah. I don't know who, but, where that is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So th thanks for expanding that. And actually, uh, mitochondria, func mitochondria function and the electron transport chain specific has been my re one of my recent passions and really how to uh, improve and upregulate its function so that you can decrease um, electron leakage and reactive oxygen species and, re and oxidative stresses. So it's and i believe me i'm deep in the molecular biological literature and it's very very rare to ever find any study that addresses the the near infrared component to mitochondrial function i mean you almost got to go to the photobiomodulation literature which used to be previously called llt low light mm -hmm. laser therapy but now it's it's pbm is the the more accepted term so do, can you summarize other than what you just said or is is that pretty much the uh, your understanding of it well, yeah, that's that's essentially uh, this near infrared. It activates the the mitochondrial healing systems in the cells, but it does a lot more than that too. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're comparing it near infrared to far infrared, one of the big differences has to do with penetration into biological tissue. Uh, we have this concept of water absorption. Water absorbs different wavelengths to different degrees, mm -hmm. and the water absorption spectrum actually starts at about nine hundred eighty nanometers. The first overtone of water, it's called. So right when we get in the middle of near infrared, it's only then that water begins absorbing wavelengths of light, but it's a, it's a continuum. So uh -huh. once you get out of near infrared, once you get to about 14 or 1500 nanometers, uh, the water is almost entirely absorbing all of the wavelengths. Uh -huh. So once you get out to mid infrared, and certainly when you get to far infrared wavelengths, they're a hundred percent absorbed by water. So, um, many people don't, uh, are maybe not aware of this, that, uh, but far infrared wavelengths for that reason do not penetrate biological tissue uh, very deeply at all. So a far infrared sauna using far infrared wavelengths is essentially surface heating you and heating you in a conductive fashion. The near infrared wavelengths, uh, because they're at the beginning of water's absorption spectrum, they penetrate, you know, they could, they've been shown to penetrate up to 100 millimeters, but, you know, on average, at least several inches into the body. So with near-infrared wavelengths, we get radiant heat. We get mm -hmm. penetrating heat, and this is a much more efficient way to, uh, to heat biological tissue. So that's another key difference that near-infrared has that, you know, you know, from far-infrared. Thank you for explaining that, because that is a massive source of confusion. And actually, I would even spec speculate, but contend fraud, 
because many of the far infrared saunas promote their sauna as doing exactly what you said, that it's not conductive, it's, it's heating the body at deep tissues, but because of the explanation you just provided, far infrared's only going a few millimeters into the body, it's very superficial. Now it has the potential to go in if water wasn't there, but we've got water, so it's not going deep. Whereas yeah, and this, uh, you can just Google water absorption spectrum and you can see this for yourself on, you know, any uh, most scientific websites. It's, it's a very well-known old concept of water absorption. Um, and, and it's interesting that, um, you know, a man-made's oldest light emitting technology is the incandescent bulb. And that's what uh, farmers in agriculture have used to heat livestock for, you know, almost 100 years now. They've known for many, many decades that that is a more efficient way of heating the body. And it's because it's primarily near infrared with the incandescent bulb because it's what's called incandescence, uh, which we throw that term around a lot, but it's, it's actually really simple. When you heat up a material in nature hot enough, it emits light naturally. So when an iron rod glows red, that's incandescence, the fireplace, the candle, um, the, you know, the, the incandescent bulb, and also the sun. These are in, in physics, it's called black body radiation, but uh, we understand it also as incandescence. It's, it's natural light. Natural light is literally incandescent light. Yeah. So uh, it's been around with us, you know, ancestrally forever. And even in terms of lighting technology, uh, electrical technology, uh, we've had the incandescent bulb the longest. And it is the most efficient way to heat tissue because it is substantially near infrared. So that's a massive difference. And that, if it wasn't for that fact alone, that would be a strong encouragement to heat your body more effectively to help your facilitate detoxification, which is one of the primary benefits, but there's many more that I'm sure we're gonna to touch on. But the, uh, the, the oldest form, I mean, uh, incandescent bulbs have been around hundred years, actually more than hundred years, but not much. But what precedes that by many millennia would be fire, <laughs> which is pretty similar spectrum to the incandescent bulbs. Yeah, the essentially the 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 peak of the spectrum is determined by the temperature of the of the source. So the sun is about fifty five hundred Kelvin. Uh, so its peak is in the visible light band. The incandescent bulb is, you know, between twenty four hundred to twenty eight hundred Kelvin. So about half the temperature of the sun. So its peak is actually in the near infrared. So it's a little bit shorter, um, and and the peak is shifted a little bit to lower energy to near infrared. But essentially, it's the same form of light. The fireplace uh, and the candle will just be a lower peak and shift it even more into into the infrared spectrum, but still the same uh, natural yeah, curve think, of light. I think it's about 1200 Kelvin, somewhere in that range. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. So, uh, but the key thing is, uh, and uh, is that it's an analog spectrum. It's not, it's the complete frequency between a certain ranges. And of course, far infrared has the higher ranges and the near infrared is, where does the near infrared go off on the high end? Is it, is it um, mid infrared? Uh, here, it's, it's six to 700 is red, visible red light, 700 to 1500 is roughly near infrared. And then we get into mid infrared, 1500 to 3000 nanometers. Okay. And then once we, beyond that, it, it's far infrared. So, um, yeah, it's, it is analog light. And so there's a lot of confusion about this too. Well, what is full spectrum? And this is full spectrum mm -hmm. and that's full spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are so-called fluorescent bulbs that are mm -hmm. full spectrum bulbs. Um, they're, they're, they're really not full spectrum. You know, I have an old, 
I have an old spectral chart that I used a long time ago. It it looks like this. Mm -hmm. um, that the green spectrum here, if you can see in the back, these spikes, that's a fluorescent bulb, and and an LED bulb. You know, a typical home LED is in the blue, and the sun is kind of in yellow in the background, and then the incandescent bulb is in pink. Mm -hmm. But but what you see here is analog light is full spectrum, so mm -hmm. it's all of these wavelengths in a uh, natural power curve. Uh, that's what full spectrum means. So you get all the wavelengths uh, in in a you know in this relative proportion that's determined by this big bell curve shape with a long tail and infrared. If you're talking about uh, your uh, typical LED bulb or mm -hmm. your typical fluorescent bulb, it's this spiky digital spectrum. It's very uh, stepwise. It's it's unnatural looking. It's not a smooth curve of, of all the wavelengths. It's a few wavelengths and a very high power output. So it's not light that we're used to get. And, and that's the difference between full spectrum and, and monochromatic light. Um, and only incandescent light sources really are, are truly full spectrum. Um, uh, any, everything else, LEDs and fluorescents, just give the appearance of full spectrum. So mm -hmm. um, in an LED, they'll add a, uh, a different, it's typically blue, a lot of blue light, and they add a, phos a different phosphorescing compound to give it a yellow peak. So to the human eye, it looks like white light or, or yellow light or kind of that tungsten glow. But it's, it's uh, you know, uh, in terms of the spectral output, it's not natural. It's hiding an unnatural spectrum, unnatural uh, correlation of wavelengths that we're not used to. Yeah. Yeah. So those clearly were both huge advocates of uh, analog full spectrum lighting, uh, true full spectrum lighting. Uh, and the, uh, aside from the wavelength difference you just described, the other pernicious component of that is the dirty electricity introduction, which makes fluorescent the worst type of lighting you could possibly have. And most people watching this are probably in an office or work in an office that almost invariably has full spectrum, I mean, fluorescent lighting in it. And, you know, it's, am it's amazing how many people refuse to incorporate it. But all you've got to do, especially if you've got windows, is turn off the lights turn off the lights mm -hmm. because not only are you going to get bad frequencies, you're going to get energy outputs, these high voltage transport, uh, transients that go into the electricity and go straight into your body directly, even from the light itself, not in addition to the one that introduces into the wiring. So yeah, that, that's a really scary concept actually that the electrical line can conduct the microwave cell phone signal and carry it to the fluorescent bulb and it can actually radiate out of the bulb and, and hit you with electric field stress. It's well, uh, it's not the it's not the radio frequency microwaves. It's actually lower frequencies, like two to hundred kilohertz, typically. And and it, fluorescents are typically about sixty-two kilohertz, where it introduces. It's it's an artifact of the way that the light is produced, and it's a very pernicious biological frequency. Nothing, something you should have never been exposed to, and it increases your body voltage, and and that's not healthy. Believe me, it's not healthy. Uh, yeah. So, you are correct, Dr. Cola. Also, there's uh, the issue of flicker. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure how much of an issue that is, but it is there, yes. Anytime you have a digital light source, that's that's going to happen. You can explain that now that you mentioned it. Well, uh, your fluorescent bulbs flicker uh, um, 400 to 600 times a second, and LED bulbs flicker at typically at 120 hertz, so 120 times a second. Um, fluorescents shut off to about 30% each time. The phase is, you know, in the flickering of the bulb, so it um, um, it's not as a dramatic a flicker as an LED. An LED completely shuts off from zero to one hundred percent, 
every time the phase changes in the alternating current. So the flicker, the degree of flicker from an LED is greater and more stressful, even though the flicker rate of a fluorescent bulb is higher. But bo in both scenarios, it's light that's pulsing us like this mm -hmm. and is a nervous system stress or it jacks, jacks, you, jacks you up. It's an excitatory uh, stimulus. And there are, if you if you uh, search on the PubMed, there are a growing number. There are some studies that are showing that it is uh, it cause it's been associated, you know, with headaches and dizziness and 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 migraines and other you know undesirable psychological effects on the body. This this flicker stress, and you compound that with it being all blue light as well, um, a natural spectrum as we discussed it. It, it becomes, uh, and it's something that we sit under all day long in the office, and it, it becomes a real problem, something that actually does a, does have a detrimental effect on our health. Yeah, so we've, that's a pretty good uh, summary of the downsides. The upsides, and there are some, uh, some significant ones, and such that uh, the short-sighted uh, governmental authorities in the world, most of them, have outlawed these uh, uh, incandescent bulbs because when these other bulbs, the fluorescence LEDs, uh, pulse on and off as you described, when they're off, they're not using energy. So they're far more energy efficient than an incandescent bulb. Some, to, some ratios are 20 to one. So it'll cost you mm -hmm. for every dollar you're spending on a uh, digital bulb, you'll be spending 20 on an incandescent bulb. And, and the, the conventional thought is that it's all that heat is wasted energy, but in fact, it's not. It's a very useful source. And that's, you could actually harness that energy to do very powerful and, and important biological strategies. So uh, why don't you take off on that and expand on it? Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's the, the, the incandescent bulb was condemned as being energy inefficient, but you know, um, it, it's a wonderful way to heat the room and farmers have been using it forever. Here's a, here's our typical incandescent bulb we use, um, for incandescent sauna therapy. So we use a 250 watt red filtered incandescent bulb and all of the, all of the, um, all the wavelengths emitted that are, that, um, the energy efficient folks call non-efficient and wasteful are the healing wavelengths. Those are, <laughs> so, so, uh, so we've taken, so when we've gone to incandescent, uh, when we've gone to LEDs and fluorescence, we've removed the healing component for the sake of energy efficiency. Um, and, uh, but, but to, with very detrimental consequences to our health, when, uh, these, if we're going to sit inside, we're going to use light that's produced by electricity for convenience. If we use incandescent pole, we get so many benefits with it uh, on the healing side of things and the heating side of things that are that are actually there. And we know from sauna therapy, we know uh, you know all the benefits we have from heating the body. Uh, it's not just a detox; it's the vasodilation and the blood circulation and um, you know the structuring of water aspects. There's so many aspects that are beneficial to us. We remove almost all of those in our attempt to become a thousand percent energy efficient. And, and besides the disadvantage that we've already discussed with LEDs and fluorescents, we have other ones too. Fluorescent bulbs are actually mercury vapor bulbs. So when you break those in your office, it creates a very hazardous waste that um, basically mercury vapor that sticks to everything. It's very toxic stuff. And even if it doesn't break in your office, what happens when you're done with that fluorescent bulb? It's breaking outside in the trash can. It's breaking in the earth. It's, it's what I would consider to be very damaging to our environment, to our earth and, and, that makes it the the energy. I think the energy efficient 
argument becomes less becomes weaker when we talk about the damage to the environment. The incandescent bulb is just glass. Mm -hmm. There's no toxic uh, waste involved. Uh, and the same thing with these these new LED bulbs for home lighting. They're all little tiny pieces of plastic. Uh, they're generating a lot of you know plastic that um, is not good for our environment. And and uh, beyond that, just what's more important, saving this incremental amount of of electricity or or, or our health, really. You know, how can we heal our bodies every day? We were doing that with incandescent bulb for 80 years. Yeah. Yeah, I had done a previous interview with uh, Dr. Alexander Wunsch, who is a native-born German and is usually based in Germany. I'm sure you're familiar with his work. But unfortunately, has a very, very thick German accent and nowhere near as articulate as you. So we discussed this previously, primarily from the perspective of using uh, incandescent lights as a as a therapy, uh, not as a therapy, but as a as a, a lighting source. Mm -hmm. So as what we focused on now. But uh, aside from that, and I, and I think there's some good arguments. And and let, let's finish this off before we move on to the the therapeutic benefits. One is the that they are pretty much illegal and uh, to to sell except for some modifications. And you might know this better than me. Uh, but that's for most of U.S. and Europe, and you have to buy specialty bulbs, which have an exemption and cost like five times as much. Instead of twenty-five cents a bulb, it's like a few dollars. Uh, so you can go to eBay and still find some of the old ones. Uh, the last time I, I bought about five hundred of them, because I, I want half stock of these things, just the regular sixty-watt bulbs that you can put in your in your room, in your uh, kitchen, your bedroom, your bathroom. You don't have to put them in every outlet and uh, fixture in your house because some of them you hardly ever use, but the ones you use every day are the ones you need to use. And you've got the 250 watt, which is a different version. Yeah, now you're getting into healing, healing therapy. Correct, correct. You know, uh, you, you, you want you want the 250 watt in incandescent sauna therapy because you yeah. want a lot of irradiance. You want a lot of the these right. big portion of the healing wavelengths of near infrared. But um, that's kind of a misnomer, though, that it's it's become illegal. It's just perceived it's perceived as being okay. banned. Well, uh, what actually for us. so Please. so what actually happened is they just changed the energy efficiency requirements, oh. and so it, by de facto, <laughs> so it banned all of the bulbs. So you can't get the 150 watts. You can't get the ones that switch from 50 to 100 and 150 that you could dial. You could change the the level of light that was so convenient. Uh, you can't get the big wattage work bulbs anymore. Um, but there was a, a, an exemption for specialty bulbs, oven bulbs, the heat lamp bulb that we use in incandescent saunas. Um, and um, that regulated everything kind of downwards in terms of what's the maximum bulb you can buy. So you can go to Home Depot and, and uh, the, the, you know, the Walmart and the other stores and you'll still find it, but it won't be 60 watt. It'll be 52 watt and mm -hmm. it'll be uh, 28 watt. And so the maximum wattage you see out there is just under 60 watt now in terms of a home incandescent bulb. And that's in your that's in the USA I'm referring to. That was a law that was passed, you know, only a few years ago. So they're still available. They're just um, there's the maximum wattages have been dramatically reduced. Um, but all of the specialty bulbs are exempt. And if we go to Europe and Australia, where there's a more aggressive ban, basically a complete ban on incandescence, mm -hmm. there's still actually an exemption for specialty bulbs. Okay. So you can still get incandescent um, 250 watt sauna therapy bulbs in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand, in places that it seems like they're not available at all. Okay. Thank you for expanding on that. And now let's shift to the therapeutic use, which is one of your specialties and using uh, these near infrared bulbs, which we've discussed for healing. 
And uh, but <clears throat> before we delve into that, I just want to continue to clear up the confusion in the distinction between far infrared and near infrared, because many of the far infrared saunas are advertised as full spectrum, no EMF. And I'd like you to address that because that has not been my experience. In fact, uh, prior to using your sauna, I was using a sauna that was advertised as that and did the due diligence and found out that in fact, it was just far infrared. There was no, there was maybe a touch of near, but no near infrared or virtually none. And uh, they were claiming it was, and they said it was no EMF. Well, yeah, there was no magnetic fields, but it was loaded, absolutely loaded with electrical fields, which are very, very difficult to measure in a source of massive confusion, even within the building biology community. Yeah. So, so there's, so, so it is a misnomer. Uh, most infrareds out there, almost all of them actually, um, are far infrared. So they're entirely far, they're, they're relying on far infrared wavelengths of 3000 nanometers and greater, the very low energy infrared for the heat. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got to be careful here because there are so-called full spectrum infrared saunas now where they have the far infrared emitters for heat, but they've added in uh, near infrared emitters in one of two ways. One way is to use LEDs, uh, and you can make uh, LED uh, light emitting diodes now that emit only one monochromatic near infrared wavelength. So they'll add a few of those in to to be able to claim that there's near infrared and therefore it's all it's full spectrum. When it's not, it's an, it's really two two technologies that they're trying to bring together and create a composite full spectrum. But it still doesn't have the same natural shape as as an incandescent bulb as the sunlight. Um, it's, it's, it's in fact, you know, inferior in terms of the shape of the spectrum and it's not covering all the wavelengths in the same, uh, natural power curve. Um, there's also some saunas that use, uh, low irradiance, uh, near infrared emitters. They're basically heating elements that are hotter than the far infrareds and they do emit a small amount of near infrared, but it's at a very low power level, what we call in light therapy irradiance. Mm -hmm. So they're yeah. there, but please expand on that term. You mentioned it a few times, and that is the most, the best, most precise scientific term. But virtually everyone watching this doesn't know what that means, and it's a powerful term. So please expand on. Yeah. That. So so irradiance is is literally the power density. So power it's measured in watts per meter squared is the standard units. So watts is power. That's how much power we get from electricity. Um, a, a light bulb is typically, you know, an incandescent bulb is 250 watts, so we know it's high powered. So watts per meter squared are how many, how much power is being received across an area in space, mm -hmm. and that's what power density is. So it's the power that's received across, an, uh, you know, a surface area in space. So when we look at light sources in terms of like how much light therapy are we getting, well, how much dose are we getting? Mm -hmm. We use this, we measure it by, by measuring irradiance. Because if we know the irradiance and we know how far away we are from it, then we know exactly how many joules we get, how, how much energy we get dosed with per second. Uh -huh. And so if we sit a certain amount of time at a certain distance from a, a, light, uh, a light source of known irradiance, and um, we can figure out exactly how, many, how much energy we receive per unit time. So uh, this in 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 the in, in the scientific world they use this term irradiance, but it's basically mm -hmm. power over an area, and um, it varies widely with different you know light technologies, of course. And, and there's um, some inex inexpensive meters that can objectively measure this. It's a light meter essentially, energy light meter. 
Yeah, they're called irradiance meters and uh, a solar panel, um, pe uh, people who install solar panels will use them to measure the, the irradiance um, you know, of the sun and the radiance uh, received by the solar panel. Uh, it's a very affordable meter actually you can buy. The typical consumer meters measure between 400 and 1100 nanometers. So they're measuring basically visible light and the photo and interestingly the photobiomodulation section of near infrared so you can use a consumer or radiance meter and basically figure out how much uh photobiomodulation how much light therapy am i getting from said light source yeah and that, that's a beautiful description and i think with that people can now begin to understand that even in a near infrared composite sauna that you described they've got a few token led near infrareds yes theoretically or, or legally you can say that it's more of a full spectrum but the reality is if you can look at the irradiance it's it's clinically insignificant it's not going to do diddly squat yeah and that's that's right I mean, you look at you know there is one study i could i could direct you to where it even incredibly low levels of irradiance do have some biological response to them but in the light therapy world, in therapeutic kind of medical um, light therapy, uh, there's a certain like minimum irradiance, a certain power level you need uh -huh. for to get clinical results. So um, it's it's actually you know between like ten and hundred milliwatts per centimeter squared. It's just you know that's just uh, you can look look this up. It's widely available online, but yeah. you, you need to re reach that minimum level, and so you can figure out really easily on your own with this consumer radiance meter. Am I getting a, a therapeutic dose? Am I getting a therapeutic yeah. level? And and with these far infrared saunas that use LEDs, there's not enough LEDs, and you're not a close enough to it, and it's not exposing your entire body to it. So it's it's really inferior. It's a really inferior way to to get uh, get LLT to get near infrared wavelengths at an at enough power level to be uh, significant to be effective. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh... And just to finish that off, to descend to 100 joules per centimeter squared, uh, it's the range, probably get one closer to the 10 to 20. Uh, but if you go over 100, then you actually can be counterproductive. You can get too much energy, and it, it's certainly that in photobiomodulation that can actually have different effects, actually shut down receptors. So you have to be careful. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great point to, to make, Dr. Mercola. It really, uh, we need to be careful. What are we doing here? Um, mm -hmm. Even with sauna, even with light therapy, we don't want an unlimited amount of these things. Just like <laughs> you can't be in the sun for a limited amount. You don't want to be in the sauna for eight hours. Right. With the sauna, you want to heat shock the body, raise cell temperature a few degrees, and you get all these uh, detox and other cellular responses due to the heat shock. The same thing with the light. You want to get a certain kind of natural level of irradiance, you know, 20, 30, 40 milliwatts per centimeter squared for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And that activates the healing systems in the cells in the body and then let the body do its work. Um, if you look at the LLLT literature, the reason it's called low level light therapy is because it's also referred to as, as low level laser therapy. Mm -hmm. um, the original uh, light therapy studies were done with lasers, which are high powered sources where the irradiance is incredibly high. Um, and, and what was found was that uh, just like getting too much UV or getting too much of anything, you uh, it's too much energy for the system and you can damage it. Um, and so you see that uh, if you see studies where near-infrared wavelengths have been shown to to be damaging to the cells and you, you have to look at the irradiance levels that they're being, they're using the studies and you see that they're incredibly high. Uh, just like, just like uh, if you used, if you get too much near-infrared or too much infrared, you can burn yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's all about getting a, a natural right level of dosage. And it's the yeah. same thing with like the ROS species, um, the reactive oxygen species. That's kind of, you know, Dr. Hamblin has an article where he calls called friend or foe, mm-hmm. where he, you know, is this good thing for us? Is it a bad thing for us? How, if it's associated with so many problems because it's a free radical, if it's, you know, if it's, it's, it's activated and produced by blue light exposure or, or in other in oxidative stress scenarios, why is it with mitochondrial stimulation when we do LLLT, it's a good thing? And that's because we're, we're doing it in this context of mitochondrial stimulation where we're producing the nitric oxide release and increase ATP production. And they all work together in concert to promote healing effects and DNA repair effects and, and regenerative effects. And, and it's all because it's at a measured dose that's you know, okay. uh, natural and reasonable and not too high. Well, let's just finish up on the LEDs and then tr- transfer into the phototherapy for s- sound detoxification. The, uh, it's important to understand that I am unaware of any full-spectrum LED uh, sauna or light therapy, and it's theoretically possible, but you'd have uh, one LED is, only goes over a very short wavelength, about 10 nanometers. So you'd have to have hundreds of different frequencies all over the place, and it just wouldn't be practical. So I don't, I don't know that one exists even. So it's not, it's not full spectrum. It's not analog LED. So it, you know, the only thing would be an incandescent, which is what you're focused on. And I couldn't agree more. You know, I, and I was pretty unaware of this until, um, uh, I connected with you at Bulletproof and then you really, I did. I didn't realize the frequent the spectrum that it was mostly Minifred. I thought it was higher and just was or lower and was confused. So it was really helpful. In, in my personal experience and using a near infrared therapy, which is what I use nearly every day that I'm home, is it heats you up really dark. You don't. You don't need. In fact, I do not preheat my sauna because it's not a conductive. It's it goes right into your body. As soon as you turn that light on, you start heating up. You will start to sweat for a few minutes, but you definitely can feel it, which does not happen in the, in the farm for So you have to heat that thing up for 10, 15 minutes. So why don't you talk about phototherapy for, for light and maybe expand a bit on or elaborate on what I just mentioned? Well, it's, 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 it's something that I discovered myself. You know, I came to incandescent sauna for my own health problems. I had insomnia, some mind racing. I had what I now know is adrenal fatigue. I didn't know what that was. I just didn't feel good. And I was negative, low energy, and I had weird acne issues on my torso. Um, but through my Google, my, my sort of my Google research as people do nowadays to get, mm-hmm. to get, uh, to get information and, and take action, I came across this concept. It, it dates back to Dr. Kellogg actually of the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And then I subsequently learned, you know, I watched uh, Alexander Vunch's videos, as you mentioned, and, and many other folks and, uh, incandescent light therapy dates back a hundred years, a long time ago, they were using mm-hmm. it to heal lupus vulgaris. And all these other things so so uh, you know a long time ago before we had this word photobiomodulation before we could look at the microscopic level and see the mitochondria uh we had an understanding that, that this light was healing so i found an old uh doctor's um manual um and uh it, it instructed on the on on how to build your own incandescent lamps on i built my own and had this amazing uh healing just amazing healing experience completely resolved all of my problems uh very insomnia immediately and over 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 a period of months you know everything else and it really blew me away that's what got me into all of this into incandescent sauna stuff um but s- since then i've definitely tried other saunas mm-hmm. uh, my parents for example had a farm for a sauna growing up in our house um 
I never really use it very much, but it's striking how poorly the farm for red sauna heats you. You sit in there for like 20 minutes and you're waiting, you're waiting and you're looking at your watch, you're waiting. And you know, in, in my sauna and in a condescent sauna, you, uh, it's immediate. You, 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 know, you, you start sweating and, and, and you can feel the heat. The heat is very, yes. very cool and vital it's and it's, it's getting in there, but you know what? It feels good. And it yeah, feels yeah. good because it's mitochondrial stimulation and it's natural uh, full spectrum light in the natural shape and form of light as we're designed to get it. So it's a feel good heat and a great sweat. And we know now too, that it, it comes with all of these benefits of photobiomodulation. And there's, there's other kind of, how would you describe it? Kind of a synergistic benefits that you can't just attribute to the detox of the heat and the, the, the mitochondrial stimulation of the light. There's this idea of structured water, um, uh, interfacial water mm -hmm. versus unstructured water, or lazy water. Um, Bunch showed or talks a lot about how a water nutrient delivery is, is improved when near infrared light hits water. And we need that for our eye health and we need that for every nutrient delivery in every cell of our body and in between the cells. Um, but you also have other effects too. Uh, structured water is a really interesting thing. Um, it, it's uh, all the wavelengths of sunlight structure water. Uh, some structure water better than others, like far infrared wavelengths at 3,000 nanometers do structure a little more effectively than near infrared. But all wavelengths, blue, visible light, near infrared, mid infrared, far infrared, they all structure water. Uh, if you look at the mitochondria, it's uh, the the inside of the mitochondria has been shown to almost to be entirely structured water. And so there's something going on there where it has like a biological significance and importance that that we absolutely need. And the more we study at the microscopic level, we see that structured water can be its own chromophore. So it can have non-thermal effects where it it is a vehicle to activate and improve and optimize biological systems, water in this special structured state. And so just another uh, kind of another greater argument that we need all the wavelengths in the natural form because they're all structuring the water and some are heating and some are light therapy activating. And this is all supposed to work in concert. The light therapy, I think, for example, makes the detoxification less stressful, less energetic. So for folks who have Ill extreme illness or weak, um, you know, who are just dealing with serious problems, they can't use a regular sauna, even though they, they need to detox, they desperately need to. A near infrared, you know, what, what we commonly call a near infrared sauna is, is an incandescent sauna. Um, it, it gives them access to this desperately needed detoxification therapy. And that includes folks who have, you know, uh, neuropathic issues. Uh, and this is just my experience, my humble experience, um, it, you know, being dealing with this for five or six years is folks with severe neuropathies and, and weakness and heat sensitivity, they can use an incandescent sauna. And they can't use a, a regular sauna. They just can't tolerate it. And and hope if you if you if you know hope for cancer, a world famous cancer treatment clinic based in Mexico, they only use incandescent lamp saunas as their detoxification modality because they know that this is this is what the the weaker folks. This is the only thing they can handle. So it's another really important aspect here that it's not just a better way to do this. It's it's a more accessible way to do this, particularly for folks, you know, on the weaker side of things. And we'll talk about that in a bit. And part of the reason they can't tolerate it is the electrical frequencies, which you've addressed. And one of the, it's one of the things I really appreciate about you, uh, even though you don't have any formal scientific training, it doesn't matter. You're just a smart guy. 
you know how to use the internet and you can think your brain works well and, and you and you've accomplished quite a bit it's very impressive so um thank you for mentioning the structured water component in fact i drink structured water but i don't think it's necessary i really don't i think it's far more important to structure the water in your body through yes. modalities like natural sunlight or far infrared or not far in, uh, the near infrared volts mm -hmm. and uh so that's one of the reasons why I do it every day. Now, theoretically, I don't need to use one in the summer. I could probably generate the same response just walking on the beach uh, and just almost sweat as much depending on this time of year. But I still use a sauna. And you also live in Florida. I mean, yeah, I know, but, but hardly anyone lives in the subtropics. So, and even in the winter, it's, you can't do that. So it's, there's, it's a very valuable too, but I'm wondering, you had said you built your first near infrared sauna. It's not the one you're using today because you—that's you, what you focused on. And I'm wondering if you—if you could comment on Dr. Lawrence Wilson. I used to call him Larry Wilson, but it's, if you—he you, have to type in the formal Lawrence to find it in uh, Amazon because you can. He has instructions. I think it's called sauna therapy. You can build a near infrared sauna for a few hundred dollars. So is that what you did? And yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so I, I, I comment I on that, and then we'll go into what you've done. Yeah, absolutely. I, I failed to mention that in the beginning. That is the doctor's book that, that I stumbled upon actually okay. online. Dr. Lawrence Wilson, uh, Sauna Therapy for Detoxification and Healing. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, you know, back in the day, he was the only guy even talking about this. And he has, <laughs> and, and he was, he was way out there. He was really way ahead of his time. He's still alive today. Yeah, uh, um, and still alive and well. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm endlessly thankful for his work in in exploring this aspect and, and basically bringing it back. It was used in Dr. Kellogg's uh, mm -hmm. sanitariums and his spas, and it was used by this guy, uh, Dr. Dinshaw, a long time mm -hmm. ago, this Indian uh, physician uh, for light therapy. The incandescent bulb was in the in the 20s and, and the 10s and the 30s, but somehow it died It died out. As so many natural modalities died out, uh, you know, in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, um, and, and it's only and uh, recently that's come back, although uh, in many chiropractic schools, they used to teach single lamp therapy. And that's what I have here is this is a single 250 watt bulb that we're using outside of the sauna. We're, we're shining it close on the body for targeted localized relief of localized issues. That was a part of every uh, of many chiropractic school, um, you know, in, in the educational uh, curriculum up until the 60s or 70s. And then it just kind of went away. But uh, Dr. Wilson uh, definitely brought this back with his book and popularized it again. So I built um, mine based on his plans, and and it was a very um, it was a very bricolage product. Um, um, you know, he, for example, recommends use using um, PVC plumbing pipe to mm -hmm. construct a the the, the framework yeah. of a sauna, and just use painters cloths from from the hardware store and use a hardware cloth or farmers call chicken wire to, for the bulbs. And um, yeah, so that's what I made. And so uh, it did work. It worked incredibly well for me, but it does have some serious uh, disadvantages. Um, and you, from experience, what are the disadvantages? So one, we want it to be hypoallergenic. You know, number one, we want natural materials. We don't want a bunch of off-gassing of mm -hmm. plastic. So you need to address that. That's a, that's a real big issue. Two, these bulbs are hot. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to protect ourselves from the bulbs. And uh, just a hardware cloth or some flexible wires is not sufficient. We need you can to, burn yourself. You yeah, can you don't want to touch the surface of the incandescent bulb. You can't burn yourself. Uh, so you need hard, uh, you know, a professional protection from that. You know, a good 
something that's not negligently designed. So those are just some basic product design issues that I've addressed in, in, in my saunas. Um, but more interestingly and harder to address are the electric field and magnetic field mitigation. Mm -hmm. So EMFs, um, they stress us out. They're nervous system stressors. Mm -hmm. And uh, we need to address both of them. And they're actually addressed in totally different ways. And this is a big misnomer that you you touched on earlier, Dr. Mercola. Um, the so-called farm for its saunas that are described as low EMF. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, when they say they're low EMF, they're only talking about magnetic field. So they're only talking about one half of the picture here. Both magnetic field and electric field are nervous system stressors. We don't want either of them from our electrical device. They interact with our bodies in different ways, certainly, but they also, uh, you know, are, are different in, in nature. So magnetic fields are hard to um, to mitigate. They're really hard to shield. To uh, shield them in, in like uh, big physical permanent structures, you use mu metals and other special metallic plating to make the magnetic field go around the volume because you can't really shield it. You just kind of divert it. Reflect it, yeah. Um, but what else you can do is to use two magnetic fields to cancel each other out. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's been my solution. It's uh, in 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 you know in in the saunas that we're making here um, is to take one magnetic field and um, use a different magnetic field to cancel it out, so that the effective magnetic field from the device that you measure with a Gauss meter um, doesn't extend you know farther than a few inches from from the electrical body of the device. And that's the mm -hmm. case, you know, and we can empirically show that. So that's been uh, a solution that took a while to figure out, but that only addresses the magnetic field. So mm -hmm. again, what about electric field? All of these farm for its saunas, like, uh, like I believe the sauna you used to have the- um, Absolutely. The farm for sort of- A tent. Tent, tent bag style sauna that your head sticks out of. Mm -hmm. uh, also the, the half saunas that I've seen that are kind of a half cabinet. Mm -hmm. um, to the full-blown cabinet farm for red saunas, they all have extremely high electric fields. So electric mm -hmm. field is measured in volts per meter, whereas magnetic field is measured in milligauss. So or Tesla, two, nano Tesla. Or, or nano Tesla, correct. Um, uh, but we're using two totally different meters to measure this. Mm -hmm. So you can measure all day long with a Gauss meter to measure magnetic field to show that it's low, and yet the electric field is very high, and you're still getting that nervous system stress and you need to be disclosing and showing both sides of the EMF and show that they're both not present. So these farm Fred saunas that you find, every single one that I've ever measured, um, not just my parents, but others out there, um, if, you, if, you, um, if you contact farm Fred sauna manufacturers and ask them about EMFs, they'll say, yeah, yeah, we're really low. It's only, only, only a few milligauss, a few milligauss. And then you say, well, what about electric field? <laughs> uh, and they don't even have that measurement. Um, yeah. But if you measure these, they, they're in many volts, uh, you know, hundreds to thousands of millivolts. Yeah. Um, and I've even measured ones that are- I thought I was putting 65,000 millivolts in these. Wow, wow, so 65, 65 volts, that's, that's 65, very high. Volts. I mean, you that's, need, that's crazy. That, that, and, and that's in a healing space, you know, yeah, that's yeah, a space yeah. well, that you're supposed to healing. So it's it's uh, it's something that's not that the manufacturers aren't aware of and the public's not necessarily so aware of. So it kind of goes under the radar. Mm -hmm. But um, here, uh, you know, I've been aware of this for a while and I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to address it. And I've I've basically done so through shielding and grounding principles. 
Okay, before we go there, I just want to uh, establish the challenge it is to measure electric field. It's not an easy thing to measure. And some of the meters you mentioned do have it, like the tri-field, which is fairly good for screen for magnetic fields, does have the ability to measure electric fields, but it's kind of worthless. It doesn't measure it well. The only way you can do it is you have to have reference it to a ground, which in itself is a challenge because of dirty electricity, which is far more complex than we have time for it to address today. But nevertheless, these instruments are hundreds and hundreds of dollars and some of them thousands of dollars to measure this accurately, to get a, a good idea of what your electric field exposure is in your body. Yes, yes, that's that's the issue is, is, is uh, definitely with magnetic field, but also electric field, we don't care so much what's going on around us as we care what is the influence on the body. And so you, you have to use specialized uh, voltage meters called body voltage meters mm -hmm. where we're measuring the voltage uh, reading of the person's body. And that's what we want to minimize and address and mitigate. So uh, you can use a tri-field meter, which is not grounded. So it's mm -hmm. not nearly as sensitive as a more mm -hmm. expensive grounded uh, voltage meter or electric field meter. Um, but you're still not getting an accurate picture of what's going on with you. You're, getting, you're measuring the air in front of you or the desk in front of you. When you use a body voltage meter, um, and there are a few of them. I mean, the one that I use is is very sensitive. It has gold componentry. It's it's one of the most sensitive. It is very expensive as well. Um, but there are some body voltage meters out there that are only a couple hundred dollars or less. And uh, if for folks who are really interested in it, it is a fascinating experience to get your body voltage meter and go around your house and lay in your bed and realize how much voltage you actually have everywhere all around. Um, but yeah, that's it. Once you, you a, a proper body voltage meter is grounded because the voltage meter is measuring the difference in electrical potential between where it's at and um, and what what you're measuring, and your body influences the voltage rating if it's not grounded, um, and it gives you an inaccurate measurement. So when you use a, a proper grounded body voltage meter and you're measuring body voltage instead of just the voltage on, uh, around the sauna. You find that when you sit inside a farm for a sauna with a body voltage meter, you'll get thousands of, of volts per meter, or you know, thousands of millivolts, depending on the meter you're using. Or very tens high. Of thousands sometimes. Or, or in your case, tens of thousands. You know, it really it varies, but all of that is way higher than it should be. So let's talk about ancestral context. Uh, our natural body voltage is only a few millivolts or less, <laughs> even. You know, all, all, it's it's almost zero. And, you know, it fluctuates and, and whatnot, but it's never above 10 millivolts ever ancestrally, pre-1888. We never had this in our life for a million years. We never had any of this man-made uh, electric field stress, and we have it now 24 hours a day from dirty electricity, from, you know, our computers and, and what I'm talking through you with to, um, uh, you know, even driving around in the car, you have uh, a, a, a synthetic magnetic field generated by the wheels. So we have this magnetic field, electric field stress that's with us 24 hours a day, not yeah, to mention- That's uh, from the steel belted radials rotating, which would generate that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and not to mention that probably the most pernicious source of modern electric field stress, and that's cell phone signal. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just such high wattage. It's so much higher, you know. Um, you know, the, the older generations grew up only with dirty electricity. Mm -hmm but only in the last 20 years or more have we begun to increase in, um, dramatically the amounts of wattage of microwave signals flying through the air that, that get us 24 hours a day. I mean, where can you go where you don't get a cell phone signal now? Well, we, we had radio frequencies in the 30s and 40s from TVs 
and radio towers, but they were, and they could be pretty high, but they weren't as pervasive as cell phones for sure. Yeah, and they, and they yeah, they were uh, just the wattage is just so much greater now. Just it's it's so much more ubiquitous now. Um, so it's a real problem. But but basically, in 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 the incandescent and saunas that I've been uh, making and dealing with for many years, it all it it took many years for me to get to this point in the product development. But I got to a point where it's like, hey, we need to address this electric field issue. We can't be sitting in the sauna and be stressing ourselves out with electric field stress. So we basically use uh, grounding and shielding principles to to ground out and block out and shield out all the electric fields so they don't get to the user. So they increase don't increase the body voltage. And so you see that in 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 my sauna, you measure with a body voltage meter, either measuring RF radio frequency or measuring dirty electricity, the low frequency you'll see that it's almost zero. It's pretty yeah. much zero. And that is really unique. Significant. Yes. Yeah, there's no sauna that uh, on earth that's ever done that before. So yeah. um, uh, you should get an award for that, by the way, I think. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> it really is quite an achievement. And you, you're such so ahead of the curve of this and for, for really appreciating it because uh, one of the building biologists that uses GeoVital is a European or Austrian um, and specifically in your case, it was Brian Hoyer, who's one of your consultants and actually consulted with my home too. Um, he went around, and I have to applaud you for this, to all different sauna manufacturers. And every single one that he contacted refused to address this electric field component. You were the only sauna company that wanted to work with him, the only one he contacted. And because you're, it, it's just part of your personality. You're open. You always want the best. You wanted to do it the best way possible. And you did. You Now you created what I think is the ultimate near infrared sauna. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a thing where if you don't know you're doing something wrong, then you can't address it. But once you become, you get out of the cave and you're aware of a problem, um, it's not just unethical to not address that. I mean, it's just, it's just against my, my very nature. Uh, and, and that's the, really what's carried me this far is, is once I became aware of how to measure body voltage really, really precisely and all the principles involved, I, I, I endlessly sought a, a design solution for it, and the design solutions are actually really tricky. But yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it, it's it's something that does need to be addressed. And soon as soon as I was had the tools and and the knowledge and the awareness to do so, I I did so immediately. And that's and that's a journey, you know, that um, that we're all on in life, um, and even in in the humble world of consumer products, we're also on that. You know, the the consumers they deserve a better product. Yeah, deserve a, a safer option that's more effective and with less problems and more more guarantee. Um, yeah. that's, that's what that's been my ultimate goal is to to widen this access to this because it this this incandescent therapy it just works so well. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to that because there's the affordability becomes an issue because this this technological innovation you put together is kind of pricey, but it's uh, and it is in my view the ultimate. But uh, if you don't have the funds to afford that, you can go all the way down like you started with this because those near infrared bulbs, and that's the core of your sauna, are these four 250 watt Philips incandescent bulbs. And you can buy those collectively for under $25 total. Uh, that doesn't buy any of the fixtures or the cords, or everything to set it up, but probably for a few hundred dollars, you can set up something like you did. And you know, I'm, you know, ha I have the sauna and, I've, and I'd like your feedback on this. 
I don't really think you need an enclosure if you're not addressing the electric fields. Uh, you could just put it up in your shower. I mean, because yeah, it's, yeah. it's direct um, exposure. You know, you think you need to be in a tent. No, this is not a far infrared sauna. This is a near. The, it, the, 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 the heating occurs from the light going into your body, and you don't need a tent for that. So, well, yeah. So, so really all you need is uh, the radiant heat works so well. Yeah. You, you are correct, Dr. Mercola. All you really need is uh, exposure air around you to be above body temperature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Above 100 degrees. So, uh, yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we, we manufacture, you know, we handcraft a, an entire catalog here, including the core of our sauna, these, these four lights, mm -hmm. you know, these four 250 watt lights on a, a, on a shielded device. And, you know, with all the, the lifetime warranty and the quality that we manufacture, we sell just that as well because you can use it in a closet. You can use it in, in, your, in a your shower. A shower would probably be the most. A shower. You can, you know, uh, we have a lot of folks who have far infrared cabinet saunas. Yeah. And they're purchasing just that because <laughs> <it> <laughs> you know they have buyer remorse and and they want to they want to upgrade to near infrared and and to and full spectrum and and to be shielded, and so you can put uh, one of one of ours into a far infrared sauna, uh, you know, very affordably and um, not have to deal with any of the EMS stress at all from the product. You just don't ever have to turn it on. You just use the four walls and ceiling. Same goes with the shower or other you know innovative enclosures that 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 you know people can think of. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, um, that is, uh, that is definitely a, a, a strategy. Uh, so that and, and, and even beyond that, uh, for folks who are, you know, skeptical of the concept or, mm -hmm. you know, the proofs in the pudding and I'm, I'm, I, I follow that as well. I, I want, I want to see and feel the results. You can start out with one bowl. You can start out with what's called this tar targeted therapy. So single lamp incandescent therapy, and just use that for a localized issue. Folks are using it for everything from from headaches to to cramps to to skin issues to neuropathies in, in the limbs to um, just aches and pains from from old injuries and stuff. That's something that you know anybody can start out with and get a, a feel for this concept and then understand. Well, for the full body uh, and the real detoxification, you do need to sweat passively. Mm -hmm. uh, and to sweat passively, we need the air around us to be up hundred degrees. Typically, it's nice to have an enclosure to do that for convenience, but um, depending on the environment, you know, that can be gotten. The, the the sauna room could be the size of a football stadium if it was above 100 degrees and you would just sit happily in front of your four 250 watt red filtered uh, incandescent lamps. At, is, that, is that because 100 degrees is hotter than body temperature? 98? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah, we, we didn't talk too much yet about the detoxification, but mm -hmm. that's really what we need. And that's why you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what heat source you use. You could even use a hot tub. Mm -hmm. um, you need to we're raise the temperature. You, I mean, well, if we're talking about detoxification and the eradic the elimination of, of heavy metals and things like that from the body, it's really that difference between passive and active sweating is really key. Um, and Wait, and there's expand on that. Elaborate. There's a there's a big misnomer about this. There's actually a National Geographic article that that touches on this where it's claimed that that sweating doesn't detox you but the the example they proffer is someone who's vigorously actively sweating on a treadmill for two hours and the concentration of toxins in their sweat is very very low and that's true because of this idea of sympathetic and parasympathetic ah, okay so the autonomic nervous system has two states uh it's we learned in high school biology it's fight or flight rest and digest so when we're running on the treadmill all the cellular and body's energy is going towards locomotion. 
all the energy is going to the muscles and the lungs and the heart basically and there's no cellular reserves or or kind of hormonal gearing for for detoxification or cellular repair or anything like that and we see that in studies too if you look at the studies uh where they use the 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 Elron Hubble or the Hubbard, Hubbard. The, the Hubbard detoxification modality mm -hmm. on the 911 uh rescue workers mm -hmm. um, and you can you can just google those studies as well um the when they put them in the sauna for a couple hours a day and this was a wet sauna mm -hmm. the toxin concentration in their um in in the tissue samples taken and the blood samples taken um, and the sweat samples as well over a period of time they reduce like the toluene and the xylene and the these terrible petrochemical levels like 90 percent there are massive concentrations of toxins that they were sweating out but it's because they were doing it passively in the sauna uh, and that has to do with that parasympathetic gearing of the body. The what rest and digest literally means that uh, it's when when you have all this energy that's going into the body with the incandescent sauna, the all this near infrared light, but you're just sitting there. You're not responding to the environment and and, and uh, escaping the bear or the environmental stress. The body's using all this amazing energy from the incandescent light to to repair, to heal, to detox, to eliminate, uh, to do to 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 fix itself. Yeah, and so, and you, but you can do that with a regular near infrared that's not yours. You're still going to get some environmental stress because of the electric and radio frequency field. So even though you're not doing anything actively yourself, you're still getting that stress and activating your sympathetic nervous system. Where you can go into your sauna, you're like parasympathetic neutral. <laughs> you're just activating parasympathetic. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get no sympathetic stress. It's like the near perfect ideal. Yeah, and that, that's 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 addressing all the issues. You know, we're using an electrical device to heat the body. First, let's get the right spectrum, the right technology that's incandescent. But then we really need to incorporate EMF, electric field, and magnetic field mitigation principles, so that we're not bringing in another nervous system stressor and putting us back into sympathetic dominance. Um, so yeah, we've really created something unique here and addressing all these issues, so that you can sit inside and have maximum healing going on um and and we see that from the light from the heat and it's all you know it's all magnified doing all the the, the light and heat and the structure of water all together without the emf stress and and that's twofold so with our products you know um uh, we've ensured the there's no electric field and magnetic field stress from our our product but the special uh, uh kind of upgraded version that that you have um actually protects the user from external electromagnetic stress. So the external RF and the external dirty electricity that, that sneak inside and, um, and, and, and stress us out in all saunas and mm -hmm. all areas on earth that doesn't exist in, in what I've created, um, through, you know, a lot of, a lot of testing, a lot of, a lot of hard work here, um, from the whole team actually. And, um, that's really unique is to do all of this in this space. That's basically pre electricity, pre, yeah, cell phone. You, you're a real major innovator because no one's done this prior to you. So congratulations on that accomplishment and achievement. But can I wonder if you could comment, because I'm sure you know the studies. Uh, I believe they're out of Finland. And these were done recently where they looked at people who sauntered regularly, like from once a, once a week to every day. And they, they observed the mortality rates, and I believe from cancer and heart disease. And I'm wondering, do, do you know which ones I'm referring to? Oh yeah, there's there's uh, so, so many of what, them. I mean, yeah, well, why don't you summarize them for us? Because I'm sure you're more familiar with the details than I am. 
Yeah, of course they do these studies in Finland usually because the entire population does sauna and has a sauna at home. <laughs> that's which, a clue. <laughs> which, hello, you know, that's, that's, that's a big part of keeping them happy and healthy. Uh, but we see across the board um, in massive decades long, uh, many, uh, you know, many person studies, very impressive studies. We see uh, a reduction in all cause mortality, reduction in risk of Alzheimer's and risk of stroke and risk of heart attack, increased longevity, um, um, you know, reduction of like neuropathy and, and uh, so many, so many things. People are living longer and they're more healthy by using saunas. And interestingly, it's not just the duration of the sauna session, it's a frequency per week. So mm -hmm. folks that are using the saunas more per week and longer sessions, and most of these studies are with wet saunas, with the finished style sauna, mm -hmm. uh, we see uh, that much greater results. So um, the more is better in this case in terms of frequency. The, if we can use it five or six days a week, even better than one or two days a week. But even two days a week, uh, yeah, or is a magnitude better than not using a sauna at all. And that's because we've just gotten so far away from this ancestral context that the you know the Finnish population that understands so well, people who do sauna understand so well. The stuff it hits all the avenues. It's it's an all it's healing all everything in all ways, and it's it's not the magnitude, of the, the magnitude of the reduction was uh, the more frequent use. It was like greater than fifty percent reduction in heart disease. It was just crazy good. It's like almost as good as vitamin D. Yeah, it's it's really uh, stunning. Um, yeah how it's how it's not well known but but in terms of one thing that you can do for, <laughs> for 20 minutes a day with all this tech all this health gadgetry and all these things you could do and i and this i have this solution i have that solution one thing to sit there and sweat passively under full spectrum light protected from electromagnetic stress uh it's probably the most impactful thing you could ever do um as a as a kind of a healing activity you do yeah. For, for everything, for all issues. I couldn't agree more. And without a doubt, it is my favorite biohacking device. And literally the thing I miss the most when I travel, uh, I don't get too paranoid about it because I know I'm gonna get away to go back home. So I would say 95% of the time I'm doing the near infrared sauna every day. Um, As am I. Yeah, yeah. But when you travel, it's, I mean, you, your device could be Pack, but it's it's not the easiest thing to do, and it's probably a you know the best benefit challenge. I mean, you can pack it and travel with it, but it's just it's sort of yeah. No, it's 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 very portable. But yeah, it, it, the the thing is, if you have a core discipline and you're using that you know using the incandescent sauna at home, you know when you're at home every day, yeah. you can do what you want. You can travel. Right. You can goof off. You can you know cheat uh, because you have that core discipline where you're restoring and repairing the DNA and doing all this stuff every day and getting the toxins out, getting all this junk that we're exposed to out. That's what it's all about. We can't get dogmatic here. We just need to take daily small steps toward, toward, toward better health. And that's, uh, it's a simple thing to do actually. Yeah. So, uh, now that you've heard Brian talk for over an hour, I'm sure you're just as impressed with I was when I first talked to him at Bulletproof and said, gosh, I, I just love dialoguing with someone who understands us at a very deep level and really studied it very carefully. And further, it was put together really one of the most innovative devices out there is with respect to sauna therapy. And I, I'm a firm believer, as are many other clinicians, that 
if you want to detox, you really need some type of sauna. And you know, and we've Brian's gone over very eloquently the difference between the, the far and the near infrared ones. And I, I I couldn't endorse near infrared, even if you're making it yourself. If you have limited income, that's going to still give you some benefits. There's some downsides. Yes, you got to be really careful because those bulbs are hot. They can burn you big time. It's going to be electric fields. But you can still do it, and you know. Then Brian offers a whole variety of different uh, strategies that you can implement from a range of a few thousand to you know less than ten thousand, but it still get, gets up there. So there's there's resources out there that you can avail yourself to that would really make a big difference. So, any closing words, Brian? Uh, just that um, people. People always want to know, like, how is this going to make me feel better? How am I going to look and feel better from this? All I care about are my problems. I've talked to, and, and, and I'm sure you have as well in the course of your health career. I am no provider. I'm no healthcare provider. But I have talked to about 20 or 30,000 people on the phone, literally, uh, um, in the course of, de you know, dealing with incandescent sauna therapy and, and doing what I do. And um what I found is that uh, this really benefits everybody. Everybody has mitochondria. Everybody is, has terrible toxic stress. Everybody is getting hit with EMF stress every day. Everybody is designed to heal in the same way. No matter how we look, we're all different. At the cell level, we're all the same. It's the great equalizer. And this is just, I'm just very passionate in this being the most impactful thing that you could possibly do. Uh, if, you, if you can address some lifestyle choices and good diet choices, you know, um, with a healing practice like this that returns you to what you did ancestrally, uh, you can uh, improve your lot in life. You can get out of where you are. You can, if you have, if you can just have a little discipline and just use the darn thing, um, you will see impact, positive impact. It's just uh, guaranteed. I mean, it just, yeah. uh, it stuff works for everybody. Yeah. Two points I neglected to mention is that you use four bulbs. Uh, and each bulb is 250 watts. So that's a kilowatt of power using. So it's going to definitely tr crank up your electric bill a little, but it's only for 20, 30 minutes. And the other point is that unlike many uh, biohacking devices, which are customized or really you can only use yourself, your whole family can use it. Your friends can use it. Although before we leave, I, th I I've neglected to mention one of the issues, which is an important caution that I think people need to know about, and I'm pretty sure you have a good answer, which is the fact that you are detoxing. You're volatilizing these petrochemicals, and in some cases, heavy metals, into the environment, the space around it. So could you comment on how to uh, maintenance of the sauna so that you're not acquiring toxins of the person before you liberated once where they were in the sauna? Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the primary uh, toxic load that is excreted by your body in, in passive sauna therapy is through the sweat. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really like explosively uh, ejecting, you know, projecting out into the air. It's mostly you're sweating it. So the toxins in your sweat. So for your, for your own sake. I mean, objectively versus volatilizing through your skin versus sweating. Is it like 99% of it's through the sweat? Um, well, I... I don't, I don't, I don't know if I could quantify that here on the spot. If you put me on the spot, but I know that, for example, there's like a 2016 or 15 bus study where they found out for the first time ever, uh, blood, urine, stool study that um, they discovered for the first time ever that you can't sweat out mercury, and that was something that was previously considered to be only excreted via the stool. So the more we look into sweating and passive sweating, we see that the body can almost get rid of everything. 
through the sweat. And the primary uh, excretion is through the sweat, although though definitely the sum is through the, the, the organs of elimination as well, the other organs. But the, the skin, the biggest, most powerful organ in your body is the major detoxifier. So uh, it's all coming through the sweat. And for your own sake, as well as the sake of anyone else who's using the same incandescent sauna at home, you want to collect the sweat is all. You want to use a, a vigorous amount of towels, towel on the stool, a couple towels in the store, uh, on the floor um, to collect all the sweat so it doesn't reach the product. And you just take the towels out and you have a couple sets of towels and you, you use those. And then uh, and, and then you wash them because the, 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 the sauna sweat is very caustic. It's very toxin laden. It, it, it's actually caustic. Uh, and uh, the same thing goes with your body. So typically after a sauna session, people get in the shower and they rinse off with a bristle brush and exfoliate all the skin. To, the toxins can cling to the dead skin cells that Dr. Lawrence Wilson talks about this a little bit. So we want to get the dead skin cells off the body. Plus it feels amazing on the skin and it exfoliates and you'll find your, you'll, you'll, you do this a few times, do this after your sauna, a few incandescent sauna sessions and your skin will just feel great. They'll really start to glow. And um, so that's all you need to do is, is do a rinse off with the scrubbing with a bristle brush after the session to get it off your skin and then use towels in the product to, to keep the sweat, you know, you know, from going everywhere, basically. Um, and yeah. otherwise, you know, mo most, most folks uh, using my saunas are definitely the entire family is using it. And, and why yeah, not? Everybody awesome. needs it. Our, yeah. our, our children need it. Our grandparents need it. We all need it um, uh, every day, really. Yeah. So that's a good justification, you know, for getting into one of these is that your whole family is going to benefit from it. Get a large family, the cost goes down per person big time. Uh, and just uh, one recommendation to even further improve the benefits from the sauna, mitochondrially and metabolically, is that if you use cold water therapy afterwards, mm -hmm. because that difference, if you're going, because you can get pretty high, 130, 40, or 50, what's, what's the temperature in this, your sauna? Well, since we're, since we're using it's your body that heats up. So. Works, yeah, since we're using radiant heat, the, the yeah. temperature in an incandescent sauna never gets above 120. You know, it's, it's 100, 120, maybe 125 max, but, uh, you know, it doesn't get up to 150 like a farm for its sauna, no, no, no. like a wet sauna. It's, it's much more tolerable, again, for that reason. And, you know, with our, our sauna design, for example, you can turn down uh, some of the lamps and you uh -huh. can leave the curtain open. So uh, some people who are very weak and have heat sensitivity issues dealing with MS and things like that, they start out with two lamps. They may only use it for five minutes. And not initially provoke a profuse sweat as they slowly reactivate their body and ease into this concept. You got to get them out of their homeostasis. They're stuck in, they're stuck in this toxic state, but uh, it, it seems to work for everybody slowly, but surely. And, and yeah, and even folks who are really have great illness and are very weak, they can use this in a supervised fashion. Yeah. But, but doing a cold shower after would be better for you. If you can't tolerate it, you know, be able to build up to it. But that contrast is dramatically important mm -hmm. to improving mitochondrial function. And one last point I neglected to mention too, we both did, is that the light exposure to the light source is imperative. So that unlike a far for it's on it, we just sit in the darn thing and your whole body's going to heat up. Not so with this. You've got to directionally change every few minutes or so. So you're going to be rotating a lot. There's a little movement in there. <laughs> to expose different parts of your body. Yeah, that's uh, the clothing, other than very fine white cotton, clothing blocks light. It blocks the near-infrared light, so we want to be naked. Uh, mm -hmm. And then also, we talked about photobiomodulation, PBM, in the beginning. Uh, the Even the deepest penetrating near-infrared 
in one NASA study was shown to penetrate like uh, almost nine inches, but on average, it's not penetrating that deep. It's it's probably four or five inches on average. So still deep. Four or five uh, it's still very deep. It's still very effective. But as we if we rotate in the sauna every you know five minutes or something, a quarter turn or so, that's the Dr. Lawrence Wilson uh, recommended. You know, that's the original protocol. Uh, we we maximize our mitochondrial stimulation. We also get an interesting heating effect going on. You heat one side of the body, and so blood flows to the front, to the chest, and then we rotate a quarter turn, and now the blood is pooling from the front over to the side, and we get a better sloshing of the blood around in the torso and more, even more efficient heating by, through rotation and really effective hyperthermic therapy, but without doing too much on any one tissue point. So just another way that this incandescent sauna therapy is just a safer, more tolerable approach. Detox. So I can't thank you enough for putting this together. What an amazing resource, what an innovator and uh, really uh, inspirational for what you're doing. I mean, if, if anyone watching this, and you're not going to, I mean, you could try to make it make something like this, but the, the key example that Brian represents, in addition to providing such an excellent resource, is that he's an inspiration. So whatever your passion is, just go for it and you can create the best product in the world or the best book in the world on your passion so i mean it's just amazing what you can do if you're really inspired and brian's a good example of that so thank you for what you put together and your inspiration as a human being thank you for having me dr mercola i really appreciate it okay